Welcome to Team Brief, the official podcast for ACES UK. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, good evening, Nala. It's lovely to be with you this evening. It's lovely to be with you, Akpemi. And it's an important uh, occasion that we're going to be talking about, an important date in our calendar. So it's, it's an absolute privilege to be okay. in conversation with you this evening. So I'll let you introduce yourself. Well, I'm Marla Rao, and and I'm uh, the director of the Ethnicity and Health Unit uh, at Imperial College London in the Department of Primary Care and Public Health, School of Public Health. Um, I wear a lot of hats, I suppose, uh, but essentially I'm a public health physician with with long years of uh, the practice of public health in the NHS and my years have spanned uh, research, uh, policy, uh, practice, and um, teaching. That's sort of me. Fantastic. Well, what you didn't say was you're a professor, Malaral. I'm a premier and I'm head and neck consultant at Adderbrooks Hospital in Cambridge, and I'm also founder of ACES, which is the uh, Academic Collaborative for Equality and Inclusivity in Surgery. I have other interests, but nothing as um, important and quite as um, uh, impactful as what you do, um, Mala. And so it's always such a joy to be able to learn from you. And here we are today talking about International Women's Day. And I think we both recognize there's a need for it. This is important as well, even in um, the context of climate change, of uh, women in the developing world. And I wish sometimes that society as general, not just the women, men and women alike, can stop for a second and see that we're so privileged here. And if we do not take care of that privilege and work hard to make our society equitable, things could go bad really quickly. What do you think? Well, that's that's so true, Egbemi, uh, and and uh, you know it saddens me in some respects that we still need to have an International Women's Day where we highlight on one day uh, the uh, and celebrate the achievements of fifty percent of the population, and yeah. yet and yet it's it's so required. In particular, I think it's required um, to celebrate the uh, the achievements and everything that the uh, women of uh, what I'll broadly call the global south, the developing world, contribute yes. to uh, world economy, prosperity, knowledge, and well-being. We are in a perilous situation now with, with, with regards to the climate crisis. I've been um, interested in the climate uh, climate change agenda, uh, how it affects populations, and how climate affects health for well over two decades. And one of the things I learned very, very quickly in my journey of, of uh, beginning to get to know the facts is that women bear the uh, uh, you know the uh, disproportionate uh, burden of both mortality and morbidity from the climate crisis, both directly and indirectly. Amazing that even 
with the climate crisis, women still bear that burden the most and the impact of it is still felt felt more by women. But I guess, to be honest, when you look at the poverty in the developing world and also even the challenges that women in general face, it's it's no wonder. And I isn't that why we we keep on getting at the fact that you need to raise the woman, you need to educate the girl child, uh, because they are the gateway to development of society. Like you say, they're the caregivers. And in a lot of countries, they are the primary breadwinners. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If you look at subsistence farmers, you know, uh, 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 the uh, women make up the majority of subsistence farmers who feed the uh, the uh, developing world. Um, and, and, and yet their livelihoods are under, uh, immense threat. And, and with that, you know, their food security, their ability to, uh, generate some household income and, you know, keep, keep themselves and their families going. Water security and, and water, water scarcity is another thing that's hitting women so hard. Because on the one hand, they are the ones who are responsible for household food. Um, they're walking longer distances to get that one pail of water, maybe. Uh, and that's halving household incomes because that's giving them less time to generate um, income. So in all sorts of ways, um, they, are, they are extremely um, badly hit by the climate crisis. If you look at migrants and climate refugees, women and children make up the, the major proportion of world refugees. Yes. Uh, and and if you can, and they're vulnerable, these, aren't they? Incredibly they're vulnerable, vulnerable from attack, Sorry. from rape. And oh. of course, when we talk about rape, then we bring in the use of rape as a weapon in any kind of conflict zone. Oh, I'm sure in refugee camps. Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, you know, after Hurricane Katrina. In the uh, uh, world's richest and most powerful country, the U.S., um, evidence, uh, epidemiological and um, you know qualitative evidence gathered from those who were made homeless after Hurricane Katrina, uh, 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 highlighted the risks of sexual violence and aggression that women faced in the aftermath of that disaster. So you're absolutely right. Um, they are, they are, you know, they, they face such considerable challenges. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, my, my view is if women were given power, they had the agency, they had the influence, they had the leadership positions to be able to sit alongside men at the top table of decision making, yes. then we may start to see a change, you know, and, and a greater a uh, 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 greater movement in terms of not just protecting women, but also giving them the opportunity to both mitigate against climate change and and adapt to it in better ways. Because um, the UN Population Fund report of 2009, which I remember so well, because the data <laughs> was so powerful, uh, it was it was you know themed on women. Uh, and, and climate change. And it showed that early warning disaster systems were better operated when women were put in charge of them. 
Yeah. So uh, mortality yes. rates in subsequent hurricanes um, uh, 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 declined in in uh, uh, in Americas in the Americas. Um, you know, so uh, they they are more inclined to join participatory networks to learn to share knowledge. Uh, uh, you know, whether they belong to indigenous communities or indeed groups of surgeons. Yes. So uh, it's 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 inherent to, I think, the way women act and w- women interact with one another, and we don't make the best use of of uh, of those talents and those intuitive ways that women work. Yes. Yeah, and and therefore, do you feel that in order to address these? issues in terms of representation where decision making is being made perhaps the wider society has to unburden themselves unshackle themselves from the preconceived notions of what a woman's place is in society i'm sure that that's something you've heard many times and an, an opinion that many people hold but what are the practicalities of of doing that how do you reframe and retrain your mind so if a man was listening to this or or a policymaker who didn't really understand what it meant who was just thinking I just want the best people on my team and I say this because I know being equitable is not always easy when you have to make very very difficult decisions at the top right but how can you educate that individual to make a change? Um, I, are you are you referring to men uh, making a yes. change and, well, and men and, and women, isn't it? Men uh, and women and, and accommodating and 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 being because, because you know it it takes it, it, the, the people who are in that position to make a difference are men because they yes. occupy most of yes. those positions. And I think you're but there are some women, aren't there, Mala, that also find who also may use this phrase, I find it difficult to work with other women, or who also feel that men make better working partners. How do you educate people like that who are working at a very high level in a society, especially when it comes to policy making, governance and and government? How do you influence the way they think? Well, I, I think I think it's it, it's hard. It's it's a difficult question because you know, disappointingly, um, we have seen, have we not, where women have been in leadership positions. Uh, I'm talking about political leadership, and yet, has that made any difference to women uh, lower down? The answer is no. Mm-hmm. And and have men sometimes even those who have publicly uh, suggested that they were they were very uh, sympathetic to gender equality. Have they made any real difference to women on, 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 on uh, you know, in, in, at the level of the community? And the answer is no. This is, this is slow. But I suppose what we ought to do is to um, uh, remember where we began and yes. how far we've gone because we need to remain optimistic. And I think I think there are more and more women uh, uh, beginning to join the top table. There's always strength when uh, numbers are are uh, uh, you know more more equitable. 
uh, yes. when, when, when gender equity is beginning to be approached. So, you know, instead of being the lone woman at the top table, when, um, you know, you have a group of women, three or four or five or six, then I think, I think there is that confidence. You see that in ethnic minority people to, mm-hmm. to, uh, to have one um, ethnic minority person appointed to a, a board, for example, is, is just um, not going to make much of a difference because it's a very lonely position that that person yes. has. And to be heard is difficult. And it's the same for um, a woman, a token woman appointment. Whereas yeah. now, I think organizations are beginning to recognize how important it is. At least some are yeah. and beginning to lead that change. The other yeah. thing is how consistently, uh, for example, private sector companies uh, mm-hmm. run by women and led by yeah. women and owned by women. Actually, mm-hmm. um, how well they do on, on em- employee surveys or employee yeah. Uh, feedback on yes. on what it's like to work for those organizations because they tend to be generally more nurturing in their yes. in their ways of working and then yes. you know there is the McKinsey studies on diversity which they undertook in 2014 2018 and 2020 uh, and and they studied uh, thousands of companies across several countries the UK US I think Germany and Canada and so on and these reports are easily uh, accessible on the net. Yeah. But what was yeah. striking was the outperformance of those organizations that had more, you know, uh, women mm-hmm. in, in leadership positions. It was something like um, 10 to 20 percent uh, greater profits after tax if they did that. It was even greater when they had ethnicity and gender in their leadership uh, uh, groups. Uh, but at least it, to have gender still meant that they, they uh, succeeded in, in uh, outperforming those that didn't. So, you know, with, with that amount of um, hard evidence, I think um, certainly in the commercial sector, and I think we would be... Uh, unwise to ignore that commercial sector evidence because I, I imagine that that would be entirely applicable to the public sector too. You know, because it's the same kind of innovation, diversity yes. and uh, diversity in culture, diversity in thought that you bring to the table when you have... Mm-hmm. Um, and you can uh, take that same thread, isn't it? You can take that same thread and you can link it with the women also in the local communities in places like Africa and Central Asia, when you educate and empower a woman, you really end up with a more productive community because that woman has the power to educate and feed and nurture and spread that goodwill in ways that no one else can. You can also take that thread, and I don't see why you can't bring it and run it right through the public sector. But I think that a really important thing, apart from educating people, that there is already evidence, and we need to look outwards, out of our own environment, for the evidence deliberately. So when someone says, why should I hire a woman? Well, that individual, instead of asking other people, should actually do some homework. 
and look out of their environment to look for the impact of women in these positions of authority of and of leadership and to, to appreciate the impact of a woman when that woman is empowered, the impact on her surroundings and everybody else around her. So that's one thing. The second thing I, I feel is very important is we need to retrain people about what meritocracy actually means. It should not mean that you deserve this job on merit. I think it's merit is more complex than that because merit depends on your achievements. Your achievements are based on opportunity. Yes. Opportunities framed by privilege. Yes. So, yes. And I think we need to educate people about this. So stop saying I appoint people on merit. Yes. I, I absolutely yeah. agree. It's, it's something that I am very keen to, should be addressed, particularly in relation to um, health research. Uh, take health research. You know, I, as you know, in the NHS, we've done a lot to expose the differential attainment by ethnicity uh, yeah. in doctors, but also nurses and the other health professions. In health research, we did a study of, of uh, whether there was an, an uh, uh, a similar uh, ethnic difference. And I was particularly interested in that intersection between ethnicity and gender. More recently, since the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, our research councils have begun to look at their diversity in terms of who gets funding, who gets the fellowships, and so on. And yes. very consistently, there is a gender difference. Yes. And, and women apply for uh, smaller grants because they probably intuitively feel, I know I have felt like that for yes. much of my career. Who's going to give me the 10 million is how you feel. And then they are more likely to be co-investigators than principal investigators. So you're absolutely right. Where's the merit? So if you then yes. say that, um, you know, w women don't have equal positions in, in relation to yes. professorships, you can, yes. you can exactly see why. Mm, and the point absolutely. is, even if at some slightly more senior level, at a mid-career level, if they were to come in from, let's say, practice or clinical medicine and think, well, I, you know, I've done some research and I'd like to get into academia, all of the, the opportunities are for very junior, junior. people who are at the, at, at the starting oh, position. So absolutely. women miss out at that level too. And at every level, uh, women miss out on yes. really good, productive academic careers. And yes. I imagine that they will have very good um, key research questions that they would want answered and it would actually make a big difference to society. But we're not yes. even giving them the opportunity to do that. Something Absolutely. fundamental has to be done to yes. improve women's opportunity yes. if the system would simply have the confidence to entrust them with that responsibility. Leading off from what you've just said about how we know this is it will go well and how they have to make these decisions, I think there has to be also be an understanding that we will have to favor investment and focus and energy in that direction, in raising women up, in empowering women, 
And that should be taken as red. You know, you have a group of people who have been so disenfranchised. Yes. And therefore, you you need to pay more attention to, to them. And I wish people understand that it is one of the, the tasks in terms of empowering women that is certainly not a zero-sum game. Yes. It is a win-win situation to divert resources in support of creating more uh, jobs for women. You have to overcompensate because we have to catch up. Yes. We have to catch up. It's the only way we can have progress. That is what equity looks like in this day and age because we have neglected women for so long. Mm, and I know I that I'm speaking very strictly about gender now. I think it applies across the board. Anywhere you are neglecting, you mm. have to invest in. The same way we also need to invest in women here in a particular manner in the developed world is the same way we have to be investing in women in developing countries. And that goes for decision makers that are of every gender or persuasion. Absolutely. So we've been talking a lot, haven't we? <laughs> we have <laughs> indeed. We, we, could, we could indeed. There's so much to discuss uh, and, and so much to get right. Yeah. But I have to say, Pemi, I'm so proud of you. I'm aware of, uh, you know, just how challenging it is for women to get ahead in surgery, first of all, to undertake surgical training and then to progress to consultant positions and to lead teams, to be a teacher, a mentor, a doer, a cutting-edge innovator. Too many well things, you. I, I think, I think, I think for me, it's a particularly privileged opportunity this evening to celebrate oh, your you. success too, Ekpemi. Thank you. And I, I, I always say, you know, women like you remind me that, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I am always in awe of you. And, you know, you're a mentor to me. And I, I absolutely love the work you, you, you do and the passion you have and the time you give, despite your tight, tight schedule. So very, very grateful you've made time for me and for everyone who's been listening. I hope that we've all learned something and there are a few bits of information we've shared here that you can take back to your environment thank you thank, thank you, you very so much. much thank mm -hmm. you we hope you enjoyed listening to that episode please contact us via a website www.asis.uk or via email admin at aceis.uk to share any comments, feedback or ideas. <laughs>